Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. It's Thursday, and you are watching AM to DM. Not just any Thursday, though. It is primary day here in New York. It most certainly is. Carol, one of our producers, was at her polling place at 6 a.m. Hell of a citizen. Hell of a citizen. Uh, uh, she was up at 6 a.m. this morning, and she tweeted about the experience. I voted. It took 30 minutes, four very kind but obviously stressed and underprepared poll volunteers, five books to check, and me being extremely stubborn until my name was located. I'm lucky to have the privilege and the time to argue my right to vote for a half hour. Fix the system. And let's talk about that system, because what's interesting about the state of New York is though obviously, of course, it's a blue state. Um, when we talk about election laws, it actually has some of the most, uh, I would say, toxic election laws in the country. Some examples. New York is just one of 13 states that don't have early voting at all. Damn. At all. Damn. Um, requires voters to have an excuse if they use an absentee ballot. Um, and the state also has the earliest cutoff for changing party affiliation in order to vote. Also, today is the second primary voting day this year. In 2016, there were three. So that's expensive. Yeah. That, re that requires resources. And also, it's confusing. Especially if you work a job confusing that doesn't voters. allow you uh, time off to vote. Mm -hmm. Especially if you work a job, like Kara was saying mm -hmm. there, where if you are late, you are going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, here's the other thing. Kara's tweet was earlier this morning. Mm. Since then, I've actually seen a lot. Rebecca Tracer, some yeah. other folks have been tweeting that they also are having a hard time voting at the polls this morning. Yeah, Lydia Polgreen, same thing. Like, like people who are like, I'm definitely registered to vote. I vote, vote every time, show up, and I'm not on the rolls. Yeah, mm. I've been doing it for four years. Look so weird. here's the thing. Be sure to bring a proof uh, like maybe like an, a, an envelope with your name and address on it. Mm -hmm. Just proof that you live where you say you live and also take the time to talk to the poll volunteers. Always be kind, they are volunteering their time, but to really make sure they're checking the books. Like Caro said, they had to check five books before they found her name. And, but they did find her name. And check her thread because mm -hmm. she has other good tips. As yeah, well. lots of great tips. Good stuff. Thank you, Caro. Well, we want to hear from you, and we are nosy New Yorkers for obvious reasons. <laughs> Who are you voting for in today's primary and why? Let us know using the hashtag Fix the damn subways and make sure to vote in the very official poll we're going to tweet out. Oh, we're tweeting out a yes. poll? We're going to have our own little poll. Vote for AMT. Yeah, that's going to be, that. that'll be canon. Mm, Whoever canon. wins that law. <laughs> vote for AMT. Vote for AMT. Don't, Don't do that. Okay, let's talk about Les Moonves because. Wow. Damn. Here's a tweet from Melissa Silverstein. If anyone out there had any doubts about what a person in power can do to a career, read this piece by Linda Bloodworth Thomason. Quote, people asked me for years, where have you been? What happened to you? Les Moonves happened to me. The essay is fire. You definitely should make time for it if you haven't already. And it got a lot of responses. Comedian Emily Heller tweeted, Every dude in our industry who loves complaining about how much the Big Bang Theory sucks should also be reckoning with the fact that we have our collective tolerance for misogyny at the highest levels of television to thank for it. Emily, you better come on mm. with the word, Emily Heller. Woo. That tweet was that's a Big our, Bang. Woo, that's our first fire tweet of the day, darling. That's right, that's hot, right. Hot, <laughs> Well, Jacqueline Friedman, author of Unscrewed, Women, Sex, Power, and How to Stop Letting the System Screw Us All, what a title, joins us right now. Jacqueline, good morning. Good morning. Okay, girl, listen, as a Southerner, I was getting my life from Thomason's essay. Woo! Okay, there are a lot of explosive details, of course, but I wanted to start here. Was there a moment or statement from her in the piece that especially stood out to you? Well, I think that 
what really stood out to me was that it wasn't, in her case, sexual harassment. And it really exposes how what the conversation we should be having here about Me Too and about systemic abuses of power that are often gendered in the workplace um, it's really about power and not sex, right? So it's the same behavior we saw Les Moonves. Many women have come forward now and said he tried to force me to give him a blowjob and I didn't do it. And then he tanked my career. This woman it just maybe didn't like her politics or her show or whatever. Um, the point is we thought the, the, the execs at CBS thought he was indispensable and all of these other women were dispensable and they were in fact dispensed with. Mm -hmm. uh, I also just thought like the cleansing rage was just fire in that piece. It was just cathartic. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. And, and that's the thing when you hold on to rage for that long to be able to release it like that, like it came at almost this perfect moment. Would you have any advice for somebody that finds themselves in a similar situation today that she found herself in with Les Moonves back then? I would say keep trying to find allies, right? Instead of, you know, I thought what was interesting, she's she's crystal clear about this in this piece, that she kept trying to make it work, right? And this is one thing that women do in the workplace a lot. We internalize it. We decide if we can come up with a pitch that's good enough or if we can keep making our voices heard, we can lean in, right? Like, we're just going to find the right thing that unlocks this thing. And maybe it's all in our heads that he just doesn't like us, right? And and she kept doing that for long enough that it actually, you know, her career found her. I'm not trying to blame her. He, he tanked her career, but I wish that she had been able to listen to her gut in that first instance when he came to that table read and gave her this stink eye and uh, just started finding allies and being like, Les Moonves is out for me. This is not okay. Uh, what can we do? And, and sort of started standing up to him much sooner. But the problem ultimately isn't individual, right? And so like giving individual women advice, we can do that. But the reality is like dozens of women have had to stand up against this guy in 2018, right? Against one guy. So not a ton is going to change in, until women's contributions are valued the same as men's. Mm -hmm. Something that was um, stunning to me is that I found the reporting was such a it struck me as uh, uh, unusual, unique to see, like you were saying, of course we have reporting about actual harassment and assault against women, but also just in terms of biz like misogyny as a business decision, as a, as, yep. as a vision, the way it impacted uh, Linda butworth Thomason, it seemed very similar to the way he dealt with Janet Jackson. And I was just wondering, are we now entering a part of the Me Too conversation where we're going to see more reporting on this in terms of how it impacted people's career aside from actual direct sexual misconduct? I sure hope so. I absolutely hope so. That's where we should be going. I feel like we get tied up in the sort of salacious scandal details and we miss the real story, which is that systemically we are eliminating women's visions and voices from Many fields, uh, Hollywood, I think, and, and news media are especially important in the sense that they create the stories that we tell about ourselves and who gets heard and whose stories gets told. But, you know, this is happening in, in companies across the board. Um, and so we need to be looking at that systemic loss and taking it seriously. I, I, I get so sick about 
all the times I hear, oh, Jeff Fager, who's the 60 Minutes boss, who's also out. Uh, I get so sick to death hearing about like, oh, it's such a loss. This great man, like, what are we going to do without him? Like, look, that was what everyone said about Matt Lauer before he was ousted. The Today Show's ratings went up, right? The, the underestimation of what women's contributions can be and what's lost when we erase women's contributions needs to be front and center. Yeah, and so let's talk about that. Amy Britton tweeted, in a span of just 10 months, the face of CBS's morning news show, Charlie Rose, the head of its signature investigative program, 60 Minutes, Jeff Fager, and the CEO of the entire company, Les Moonves, have been ousted after Me Too allegations. Let that sink in for a moment. So if you could talk to the head of networks like CBS and NBC, what would be some of the first reforms you would want to see these companies enact? I would want them to do a top to bottom audit to find out as best as they can what's happening right now and what has been happening historically and take it seriously. Take the first story seriously. Don't wait until you have the 12th story. Um, You know, I think one of the things that is so stands out in the CBS story is that the board stood behind Moonviz after the first Ronan Farrow report, which had six women and their allegations coming out. It was only after they found out that he lied to them that they started turning on him, right? So what was more important to them was not that he was sexually harassing and assaulting women and tanking their careers. Uh, What was important was that he didn't fuck with them, (laughs) right? So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's wild. (laughs) It's it's deeply, it's profoundly cynical. And and so companies, if they really want to get out in front of this, have to look internally. They have to look at their board culture, at their HR culture, at Who's heading up each of their divisions? What is the tone? What are their employees' real experiences? And when they hear that something's not right, they have to take it seriously. They have to value the victim at least as much as they value whatever golden boy is being accused. And that's the T. Jacqueline, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We have a tweet here from uh, Tanya Melendez. Linda Bloodworth Thomason wrote the legendary and that's the night the lights went out in Georgia monologue from Designing Women. She writes fire. It is my sincere hope that this is the the beginning of a new era in her career. Absolutely. Clearly, this woman knows how to write it. Murphy Brown's getting that over you. Woo! A little more Designing Women. Yeah, I'm a woman. Design me, Linda Thomason. (laughs) Come on. All right, well, listen, (laughs) Apple has a bunch of shiny new products, so they threw a big old press event yesterday. BuzzFeed News tech reporter Nicole Wynn, who was in attendance, tweeted, iPhone XS camera walkthrough reminding me I need more vacation time and hotter friends. Now what's the, what's now the shade here? If you watch the video, just looking through the walkthrough from mm-hmm. the, it is a lot of attractive people okay. in a lot of far off lands and okay. a lot of exotic locales. And you know what, I'm with her, I'm with her. <laughs> let's get some more, tra- let's get some more vacation time. <laughs> I'll okay. hit the gym, I'll hit the gym for All you. Right. A little hotter friend. <laughs> We'll share our makeup tips. There it Nicole's is. Friends. Okay, Nicole joins us now from California. Good morning, Nicole. Good morning. All right, so the iPhone event opened with, and I saw that, I didn't watch it yesterday, but I did see the troll tweet from Tim Cook. So how did that unfold? The scam of the century. I feel so <laughs> scammed by Tim. He um, tweeted, you know, know who, who can get it here, and then quickly deleted the tweet as though Tim Cook would use Twitter DMs instead of iMessage. That would never happen. He's probably not even sending his own texts. Um, and then the the presentation opened with this Mission Possible style um, 
you know, person who's like running through Apple Park campus with this silver briefcase and it ends up that, you know, Tim was just missing his clicker or something. But basically it was all a stunt and um, we were fooled. We, it was. It was a bunch of tech journalists. I saw that tweet just took over the right. timeline. Um, so, Nicole, let's get to the, the heart of it. New iPhones. There's a lot of them. Which ones did you like? What do you think of them? So there are three new phones. Um, two of them are basically slight upgrades from last year's iPhone X. Uh, the two are the iPhone XS and XX. 10s max so confusing the name but you can call it whatever you want um and i like to call those the iphones expensive and then there's a brand new one called the iphone 10r and that's less expensive by about 250 dollars and this is the phone that i'm really excited about it's it's really big which is sad for us who have like very tiny hands but um it has portrait mode and just as fast as a processor uh the screen isn't as color accurate but it's um perfectly good for most people. Okay, so this is a question I had about the Apple event. They do this big event every year. It's a big brouhaha. Tech journalists like you have to flock, you know, to watch and cover, and it, it obviously gets a lot of eyes and attention. Is it still as important? It, it, it's, it's odd to me that, that, that this company gets to do this thing talking about their own products, and it's literally like a major news event every year. Has it changed its value? The Apple special event, which is how what they deem this, um, th this event, is definitely a press announcement. And um, it's held in this gorgeous Steve Jobs theater, which is a glass rotunda on top of a hill. And you sink down to this white marble staircase in this theater that's sunken below the earth in these buttery leather, leather seats. And it's, <clears throat> it's very fancy. But um, the iPhones this year aren't major upgrades from last year's phones. They're, they're pretty much the same devices. Okay. They're pretty much the That's same devices. Another device, though, that a lot of people were talking about was the Apple Watch. Mm. Uh, I've heard it's basically a really fancy life alert now. What's going on with the new Apple Watch 4, Nicole? Yes, yeah, so the Apple Watch can now detect um, whether or not you face-planted or you've fallen. Um, and also it has ECG built-in, which is actually a big big headline and a pretty big deal. It's um, a more accurate heart rate monitor, and um, it's FDA-approved, which is huge for people who need to detect irregular heartbeats. That's really interesting. So it sounds like baby boomers are about to get some helpful technology. No shade. That wow. Was I'm sorry. I was yeah. like, <laughs> damn, Saeed. Okay. Back on folks. Back on point, Jones. Um, was there anything else that kind of piqued your interest? Were the snacks good? Did, are there snacks? <laughs> oh, there. The Fancy snacks thing. were fire. Uh, <laughs> Apple is worth a trillion dollars now, so there was a salmon toast with caviar on it. It was okay. wonderful. <laughs> I do like that. That's why tech journalists flock, my All friend. right, get it now. I see. Expose high. Y'all just are there for the fancy snacks. Well, Nicole, moment of truth. I got to be honest. During the show about a month ago, I dropped my phone off camera and broke its screen. And then I found out, oh, okay, this event is coming up. So let me see if, you know, based on what you've been saying, should I get one of the new phones? So I have an iPhone 8. Uh, what do you think? Should I get one of the new ones or should I just get another old 8? Well, it depends. Are you, do you want portrait mode? I do love a good portrait <laughs> mode. I do love a good portrait mode. Does he because, want portrait mode? Because Isaac Fitzgerald mm. is the country's foremost portrait mode photographer. It's true. He's very good at I it. I believe so. it. I okay. believe it. Well, if you want portrait mode, I bet after the iPhone XS goes on sale, 
used iPhone 10s will drop in price. And if not, you should go for an iPhone 10R. Okay. Okay, so iPhone 10s if right. you've got the and money. And you have a 10, and, and I do like your portrait. Mark. Wait for it to drop. All right, Nicole, thank you. News we can use. We really appreciate you joining us. Thanks. All right, friends, later in the show, Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro from Waitress are here. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Fire Tweets, Portrait mode. He's really good at it. I am very, very You can see. We were just talking that Apple event. Kirsten Baptiste, you tweeted, Apple know they ass out of line for even talking about a $14,000, I'm sorry, $1,400 phone. That is a lot, of, that is a lot of phone, y'all. I roll emoji. Here's the thing, as I'm like fixing my hair, and making sure I look cute. <laughs> um, here's the thing though, given how much I use, I don't know about you, Kirsten, I use my phone so much, I arguably, and this is crazy, I'm writing a book. I've been writing a book for five years. I'm pretty sure I still use my phone at this point more than I use my MacBook. I would, you know what I mean? I, like, to be honest, kind of a, I would agree with, listen, I read that tweet, I love that tweet, I got my life from that tweet. Yeah. I still, still do, a lot of money. I still do own an X. Like, you know, so. Y'all always talking about he, he was gonna be shaved for being bougie. I maybe didn't ten. live by the tweet. 10, let's get it. 10 or an X, anyway. anyway. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> let's go, let's go. <laughs> this tweet. <laughs> This tweet comes from Dre. My girlfriend was looking for a shirt to wear from my closet and had the audacity to say, we need more shirts. Mm. The nerve. That is real. Yeah. Time to get more shirts so Does, I can steal some of them. Do you and Alice ever trade clothes? Oh, your tattoo's looking very beautiful. Oh, thank you very much, buddy. Uh, you know for a fact Alice is way more fashionable than me and she would never wear my clothes. <laughs> Bucky, you tweeted me. Welcome home, John Wick. John Wick. <gasps> Thanks, Rumi. How's my Tamagotchi? <laughs> me. Start sweating profusely. Oh, God. I mm. love the John Wick I, Any John Wick, that's yeah. how to get... It's always like the sweating profusely. If you're like, man, I really wish Saeed would retweet me. Just mention John Wick in your tweet, and I you're pretty John golden. Wick so much. Uh, we really should host a John Wick viewing. I, would. I know we've talked about doing it forever. One day, friends. Well, yeah, man. October. All right, October. Okay, this comes from... <laughs> Mer Sorry, we have a producer in our ear, and she is keeping us on time today, children. On time. Boom! Merit, there is no greater feeling of abundance than going from scraping the bottom of an old peanut butter jar to cracking a new one and just slathering it everywhere with no regard for God's or man's law. Oh, that's real. No, it isn't. I hate peanut butter. Oh, okay. Well, it's real for me. You, Because you are. You're scraping the bottom of that jar. There's like nothing left. And then all of a sudden you crack a new one. Look at all that peanut butter you got. When I was in elementary school, I would make my friends sit at a different table if they were eating peanut butter. Elementary school. <laughs> <laughs> Roche, you tweeted, it's fucked up that the cows in Chick-fil-A ads actively root for chickens to be eaten so that they might be spared instead of joining together with the chickens to rise up against their mutual oppressor. <laughs> That just makes sense. I just envisioned a bunch of chickens screaming, 53%! 53% of cows! I'm sorry. It's just, 2018's done a number on my imagination. 53%! Get to this tweet of the day! Tweet of the day! It comes from Andy Ryan. Daughter, what does gays mean? Me. Well, you know, mom and dad love each other. Two men can love each other the same way. Her. So what's penetrating gays? Me. Uh, read me the whole sentence. Her. 
She stared at him with a penetrating gaze. Me. Oh. <laughs> so good. So good. I remember having a, um, a, like a college meeting with a professor. Uh -huh. uh, actually, it was G.R.E. Jones. Uh -huh. And I was talking about the white male gaze with a Z. <laughs> and we went a couple of minutes with her thinking I was talking about white gay men. You were just like, <laughs> I feel like there's too much white gaze in the these white books. male gaze. Like, is what just character so is gay? What's going on here? <laughs> oh, man. I just like that that parent had the wherewithal to be like, use it in a sentence. Because I would have been caught. Yeah. Listen, up next, we're going live from the district, and later in the show, Stephanie sits down with Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro of Waitress. It's going to be a great conversation. Scandalous waitresses. Ooh. I'm on Al Roker, man. That's why I want. Oh. Yeah, in Waitress. Though. Okay. Welcome back. We're going live from the district. We begin with a dramatic reading of two tweets from Hurricane Maria Truther and President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. <coughs> 3,000 people did not die in the two hurricanes that hit Puerto Rico. When I left the island after the storm had hit, they had anywhere from 6 to 18 deaths. As time went by, it did not go up by much. Then, a long time later, they started to report really large numbers, like 3,000. This was done by the Democrats in order to make me look as bad as possible when I was successfully raising billions of dollars to rebuild Puerto Rico. If person, if any person died for any reason, like old age, just add them onto the list. Bad politics. I love Puerto Rico. <sighs> I'm exhausted. You should be. We are joined by BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nitty Prakash. Good morning, Nitty. Hello. <laughs> She's speechless. Listen, Nitty, you I'm been... exhausted too, Saeed. Yeah, rightfully so. <laughs> rightfully so. You've been covering this story for a year now, which feels wild to say. So what's your reaction to the president's god-awful spin? I mean, honestly, it has been a year of reporting, and not just reporting, but scientific studies. The governor of Puerto Rico, the, the government of Puerto Rico, has admitted themselves that their initial death toll was wrong, that they updated them themselves to be 2,975. Given all of that, it is just mind-boggling that that's something that uh, the president is saying this morning. And I think the other thing we can take from that tweet is that he is, in a way, acknowledging that the actual real death toll does make him and his administration look bad. Oh, that's interesting. That's a, can, can you talk more about the implications of that admission? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there are many ways that we can measure, you know, first of all, how bad any of these disasters are, and that's in terms of damage, but also obviously in terms of lives lost. And that is, you know, partly because of things that can't be prevented, you know, uh, trees falling down, you know, people just being caught in the storm. But then it also comes down in the immediate aftermath to how the response was, right? And that's down to the local government, but also obviously to federal authorities, like how quickly was FEMA there? How quickly uh, were other federal responders able to reach people? And that is, I mean, you can't deny that that is died, tied to the Trump administration's response. 
Absolutely. To say nothing of the fact that he is talking about uh, death toll numbers as if he's talking about the crowd size at his inauguration. It's like you're, you're talking about people dying on mm -hmm. your watch. Right. Well, let's get to Florence. Mm -hmm. uh, this morning, AP News tweeted Hurricane Florence downgraded to a Category 2 storm, but still considered extremely dangerous and life-threatening. Nitty, as we've been mentioning, you covered Hurricane Harvey closely as well, not just Maria. Um, what will you be looking for this time around as you report on Hurricane Florence? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, I guess there are a couple of things, obviously, given um, what the president tweeted this morning and some of the issues we know about, about the FEMA response to Maria. Um, we'll be looking at how quickly FEMA gets in there, where the resources go, whether they've learned any lessons from some of the blunders that happened during Maria that they admitted themselves in a FEMA, in a FEMA report recently. Um, and I think uh, in terms of what I learned from covering Harvey, some of the things that I was looking at there was uh, looking at how communities of color and underserved communities were being uh, taken care of in the aftermath and they really struggled even just to get rescuers to come and get them basically you know and then following that to get through all of the kind of red tape of putting in a request for FEMA assistance all that kind of stuff so we'll be looking at all of that um, and definitely it looks like it's a little bit more of a kind of um, Harvey-like hurricane in the sense that it's going to hover it looks like and just dump a lot of rain on the area so people are probably going to be dealing with a lot of flooding um, and so we're looking at like programs like the flood insurance program and how those are working for people when they really need it. Mm. All right Nidhi I, I want to ask though does FEMA or the White House does it seem like they're maybe at least a little more prepared this time around? I mean, it's hard to say, Said. I think, like, also each of these hurricanes is really different, but I will say that it is pretty concerning if the president is not acknowledging the reality of, uh, of the response. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Well, listen, the New York Times tweeted this stunning update yesterday. The U.S. is holding a record 12,800 migrant children in detention, a five-fold increase from May 2017. Nitty, this number is wild to me. How did we get here? So it's so many different policies that this administration has put in place. Um, and, you know, I think that the cumulative effect of all that is that there are just more people in detention. Obviously, this is something that was also happening under the Obama administration. But I think we can see from that figure that it's just accelerated at such an incredible pace. What's going on with efforts to reunite these children with their families? So there are still a couple of hundred families who have not been reunited and, you know, it's just people who have been deported and uh, they're now not able to track them. Um, so parents who have already been deported to their home countries and the children are still here um, are some of the cases that have not been re reunited yet. So it's still, you know, it's not complete. There are a lot of people who are still not uh, back together. Um, well, here's a tweet from Jacob Soboroff of MSNBC. He tweeted, huge settlement between the Trump administration and lawyers of separated families. If approved, those facing deportation and those already deported would get a shot at asylum. Cover some cases where psychological state of the parent was an issue in the first interview. Okay, so this sounds like a big deal. Um, is it fair to say that this could be a move in the right direction to decrease the number of children in detention? And will it actually work? So it could be. We'll have to wait and see how it plays out. And also, so this is an agreement that the Trump administration has proposed in response to three lawsuits that were brought by lawyers, basically on behalf of families who were separated. Um, and so it, still, it's still waiting to be approved by all of those courts. So if it's approved uh, and it goes through, then I think we'll start to be able to see whether it's going to work or not. But it is a step in the right direction in the sense that it gives people who were denied, uh, basically people go through a credible fear interview when they're applying for asylum, 
and a lot of parents had to do that interview when they'd just been separated from their children. Um, so it gives them another shot at taking that interview when they're not kind of directly in crisis like that. Um, so it does kind of like correct some of those things, but obviously, you know, tracing people back again, bringing people back to apply again is a whole separate thing. So I think in practice, we'll have to wait and see how it plays out. My goodness, so many. I mean, I'm just struck talking to you both about Hurricane Florence and, of course, all of these children and their family. I'm just struck so many lives on the line. Um, mm -hmm. We'll just see how this continues to unfold. All right, uh, Nitty, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Coming up, BuzzFeed's new series on Netflix, Follow This, features reporter John Stanton's story about Whore's Day. He joined Saeed to talk about it. Don't go away. I don't know why I'm wiggling. This spring, Trump signed two bills into law intended to protect sex trafficking victims. But sex workers say these laws are actually harmful and organized a protest on the anniversary of Whore's Day to fight back. BuzzFeed News national reporter John Stanton, who covered the story for Follow This, the incredible new series from BuzzFeed News on Netflix, joins me now. John, good morning. Good morning. All right, let's start here. What is the Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act and the Stop Enabling Sex Trafficking Act, also known as FOSTA and SESTA? Yeah, so FOSTA and SESTA were a bill, at least as a piece of legislation that were designed to end online human trafficking, uh, particularly of women and children um, in the sort of the sex world context. So they were really kind of aimed at sites like, say, Backpage, which <clears throat> had become, uh, was under investigation when the legislation came out for uh, facilitating illegal um, sex trafficking. But what they actually end up kind of doing is, is going low beyond sort of trafficking and, and capturing a lot of people that are engaging in sex work, whether it's legal sex work like camming or working in porn or being a dominatrix to, you know, sort of full service in-person prostitution, which is illegal in most parts of the country. Okay. And go ahead. Oh, no, you go on. I'm sorry. Well, so it's basically what what what, is, what it's done is it made it, it made it very difficult for sex workers to be able to screen their clientele, to share information about bad clients, um, and to advertise uh, online. And it's really started to hurt people and put people in a lot of danger. Yeah. One woman you spoke to, a, a sex worker, notes that after these two laws went into place, she lost, I think she says something like 60 to 70 percent of her business um, and begins to have to take some real risks because of these laws intended presumably to protect women like her. So could you talk about how um, the Internet without the so-called protections um, actually protected sex workers? Yeah, so, so what they would do is they had sort of two layers of this. One was the websites where they would advertise themselves. That took people off the streets um, and out of sort of, you know, or in-person solicitation of clients, and that made it possible for them to be a lot safer just in trying to uh, market themselves. Um, but then also is they gave them the ability to create what are known as bad date lists. And what that is, is, is sex workers in particular areas would sort of get together and they would create an online list of information on clients. And some would be good, but most of the time it was for um, keeping in a track of people that were either violent, that tried to rip them off, that were stalkers, that had done something kind of creepy, so that other sex workers would know if those people approached them uh, and to be able to avoid them. And it was a very valuable tool to a lot of uh, a lot of sex workers in order for them to screen these people. 
Okay, so, and one thing I think so interesting about uh, your episode of Follow This is that you look at all of the different facets and, and, and the way that a law that might seem simple actually impacts different communities in many different ways. Um, let's talk about people who have been victims of sex trafficking. First, are there any indications that this is actually going to work to protect them? Um, yes, obviously, I think definitely, right? Like, so, I mean, Backpage had already shut down before FOSTA and SESTA was passed. There were other websites that were um, facilitating some kind of sex trafficking. And so there is some evidence that that is helping. Now, there are a lot of police officers out there and a lot of um, departments that will tell you that it's actually kind of hurting them because, um, you know, criminals are not always the smartest human beings. And, and by going onto a website like Backpage.com or other places that were well known for these kind of activities made it possible for law enforcement, frankly, to find them a little bit easier. Um, finding sex traffickers is very, very difficult sometimes for them. And so uh, it is a bit of a double edged sword in terms of helping people. Okay. You speak to a black woman who was a victim of sex trafficking herself and now had come to advocate for these two new laws. And she notes that sex trafficking disproportionately impacts women of color and, as she says, black women. Um, did that pan out in terms of what you saw at the Whores Day protest? Like, just watching the episode, it seemed like I, I was seeing mostly um, non-black uh, sex workers. So I wondered if, if, if that was reflected. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's like two two things like sex trafficking definitely does um, seem to, to affect people of color more, much more, um, particularly uh, women of color than it does um, uh, women that are, are white. Um, but uh, in terms of the sex, in terms of the sex worker world and the advocacy, there is, I think, a lot more to be done to um, effectively amplify the voices of people of color. Um, I think that they they are very active in terms of fighting against FOSTA and SESTA and in fighting for their for their rights because what ends up happening is they are almost always the ones that will end up getting hurt the most earliest. So, for instance, you know, um, trans women of color in particular are, are pretty much the very front line of this fight right now. They were kind of the last to be able to get off the street, and they are the first that are being put back on the street. They have almost no protections at all from the police. There are no real services out there for them to get jobs uh, if they want to try to not do sex work. So, um, very much they are the, the, the front edge of, of everything that goes on with this. Wow. As is everything else, really. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was thinking about black trans women in particular in terms of uh, the implications of this law. Um, well, when we look at the big picture, what kind of lasting effect will FOSTA and SESTA have on internet freedom that we can at least foresee now? Well, I think there is a, a big question about it, just not only for, for, for sex workers, but, but more broadly, right? I mean, I think that a lot of libertarians were opposed to this legislation because of their concerns about what it means for the government's ability to regulate you. Um, you know, they are already looking at new pieces of legislation in Congress that would allow uh, banks to essentially freeze your, your accounts if you are engaged in something that appears to be sex trafficking, and that means you can't ever get your money back, right? And um, it allows the government to, you know, make it so that a class of people that are advertising for something that is legal um, are no longer given a platform because of the way we are defining things in the overly broad way that we define things. So I think there is a lot of very serious questions about the, the freedom of the internet going forward after something like this. Wow. Well, learned a lot from your reporting. John, as always, thank you so much for joining us. You can, you. of course, you can watch Follow This on the Netflix show uh, now, and you should subscribe it and talk about it. Up next, Stephanie sits down with stars of stage and TV, Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro. Stay tuned.
Sit Down, I'm joined by former scandal, scandal gladiator Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro, who play a married couple in the Broadway show Waitress. <laughs> what does that and happen to be married in real life. We do. Yes. We are married in real life. So yes. guys, how does it feel to be making your Broadway debut together? Well, at first, it was so scary. Scary would be the word I would use for me. Yeah, and also, like, you know, you're, we were both freaking out, and then we didn't have anybody to come home to And, like, to calm say, down like, each other. Like, hey, I'm freaking out, because I would be like, hey, I'm freaking out, and then Katie would be like, so am I. Yeah, it was we're just... We're both freaking out. Freaking out, compounding on each other's freaking out. Yeah. But now, now that we've amazing. done, like, oh 70 or 90 performances or something... It's the best. Um, we've really settled into the whole thing, but... It's pretty great. We've We've been musical theater nerds our whole life. So like this, to be on Broadway is like a whole thing. It feels pretty right. It feels right. All we, do is, <laughs> all we do is sing. All we do is sing show tunes. So now we yeah. just get to do it for, for real. Yeah. yeah, I know you guys have been working towards this. It seems your whole entire life. Yes. What was it like stepping on, onto a Broadway stage? <sighs> well, <laughs> it was sort was of like having our, I was just comparing it to, I have, we have an 11 month old and I was like, I think in those moments that are you're so scared, it's so out of body. Like I remember waiting backstage opening night and it's like, okay, they just said the word. That means I start walking out on stage in front of like a thousand people yeah. and change and our most like loved friends and family. And you're just like, I don't even remember really doing it because it was so scary. Do you? Uh, uh, the first time? <laughs> Do you remember it? No, the first time I walked out on the stage was for rehearsal and I was like, yes. <laughs> They're gonna have to kill me to take me off this stage. <laughs> I just love it. He I loves love it. So it. Much. He it's, loves it. It's beautiful. It's yeah. a beautiful theater. We get to get married eight times a week in the show. Yeah, we get married a lot. We slow dance in the show every day. Even just being on Broadway together kind of feels like we're getting married again because our families are coming to New York and they're seeing us. That's and like point. your family sits on one side of the theater and my family sits on the other. It's a lot like a wedding. Yeah. Yeah. And a few of these times it felt like a Broadway bar mitzvah for me. It really have felt every like, single like temple yeah. and rabbi in the state of Pennsylvania yeah, they're all come coming to see this one on the Broadway. Sure, on the, bro on the Broadway. Yeah. so adorable. I know, yeah. I was watching you guys. I saw the matinee yesterday. Thank you for coming. Thanks for coming to the show. It was incredible. I loved it. So I saw you guys slow dancing, and I was like, I wonder if they're like talking to each other. Like, I'm picturing me and my husband, you know, Katie, on a Broadway stage. Like, I wonder what they're talking Katie about. Katie <laughs> talks about like real life stuff. She's like, did you get the humidifier for Albie's nursery? And I'll be like, what humidifier? I don't know what you're talking about, because I try to stay in character. He all tries to stay in character. I'm all trying to check things off the to-do list. Yeah. Like, I'm like, this is time. Let's multitask. Did like, you make the reservations for when your parents dancing. are in town? I'm like, where should we go for Thanksgiving? Are we going to Florida to see your grandmother? Are we going to Virginia? you to see your brother like what are we doing I try to stay in character and she <laughs> do you guys work together a lot we have do. you worked together a lot we, we do. do we've done a tv show a movie a, a short a web series we run a theater company in LA and we run a theater I am company, a theater company yeah. that just had its 10th anniversary um, so we worked together a lot, but this was definitely the most high pressure, high stress, yeah. and the shortest amount of time. I mean, we got the job, four days later we moved to New York, and nine days later we opened on Broadway. So it was just like a pressure cooker of insanity. That's true. That and I, I played her boyfriend that got murdered on Scandal. Yeah. We did that. He got right. blown up in a yes, building. I do. He's up. responsible for rigging the election that got Fitz his first presidential. That's true. With me, seat. without me, there's there's no there's without no scandal. Him, there's, there's no, no scandal. scandal. Yeah, that would so. come on. <laughs> totally. You would have just had some random guy in there, not Fitz. <laughs> we would have had Rustin. 
Oh, yeah, Governor Reston. Yeah. That's right. Tom Amandis. That's who we would have had. Oh, great. Yes. Tom, shout out Tom Amandis. <laughs> Hope you're watching. Well, you obviously played such a pivotal role in Scandal. I have to ask you, Katie. Yes. <laughs> do you She's miss talking about you, Katie. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Huh? Do I miss it? Oh, my God. Yeah, every day. It's honestly so weird. Like, this is the first summer that we haven't gone back, like, in seven years. Um, but actually, again, Waitress has really been such a blessing because, for example, this weekend, Shonda Rhimes and her sister came Friday. Saturday matinee, Guillermo Diaz, who played Huck, came. Saturday night, Kerry Washington came. Um, Dan Bukatinsky came Tuesday night. Jeff Perry so, was here last week. Jeff Perry was here. So it's been this amazing... We're, we're on a group text chain. I mean, we talk every day. But, yeah, we really... We were really tight, and we still are, and so it's it's kind of it's emotional. I'm not gonna lie. We saw I saw Guillermo for the first time in months when he came to very Citrus, emotional, and we were sobbing, hugging yeah. each other. Like I was like having body shakes because he's just like one of my life soulmates. This is the longest conversation I've had in a long time where I haven't shown any pictures of my baby to the person we're talking to. <laughs> Normally that's like 30 seconds in. So true. Did like, you just I, realize that sitting here? No, just like, sitting here I was thinking happy. like, well, I haven't looked at a picture yeah. of our baby in like yeah. a minute. Yeah. Well, okay, so now I kind of want to see a picture of your baby. I don't have my phone <laughs> on. You don't have our phone yeah, on. You'll, you'll just show me we're after. We're being super here he's in the moment. Super, yes, I'll, we'll I'll describe him. He's super cute. He's got all cheeks. He's so cute. He looks like every other baby. He looks like Katie, thank God. <laughs> he doesn't get all this until he's like 13, 14. What is, I'm curious, obviously the show is, you know, for those of you who don't know the show, it's so much about becoming a mother. Is it connecting? Oh, How do you not cry through every single oh, We do cry. Well, we had seen Waitress like three or four times before Sarah B called us. Uh, Sarah to, B gave us, it, texted us and said, hey, do you guys want to make your Broadway debut? And, and we, were, we like, were like, what? We didn't even respond for a bunch yeah, of hours. Yeah, no way. Freaking horrified. And then we said no. We yeah, were we like, said we're we can't. Not we're not we're, good enough. We're like, like huge fans of the show. We can't just think of ourselves in yeah. it. We had seen it a bunch of times to see her in it. It'd be like the Lakers calling and being like, hey, do you want to play point guard this season? And I'd be like, I'm just not good enough. To I do mean, that. yeah, yeah, okay. And then, but then we did it, and then thank God Sarah had, I mean, it was a great idea. She was like, just out. send in your audition tape. Just send in your audition tape. And we were like, no, 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 no. And then finally, we're like making tapes in our bedroom, and our dog Roger's walking through, and we're like, Playing Don and Ogie, and we look at each other like, oh my God. Yeah. We can hit the notes. Like, we can do this. Like, four days later, we're just like in Times Square, like we're on Smash. Yeah. And I'm just Did like, you see that show? Of course yeah. I saw that show. Well, and it was exactly like Smash, too, because Catherine McPhee was yeah, in the show. Yeah, yeah, totally. Basically, we're just living our Smash We're living those, reality. that Smash life. Yeah, we are. We're all about it. Um, so, yeah. I don't even remember what the question was. What were the was. question? I don't know. Oh, Do you know? about mom life and... and oh, Because we had seen it a bunch, and we saw it, like, when we were... We saw it when I was pregnant, so I yeah. cried all the time. And I now that I'm, I'm here... I found a mom, and I was getting so emotional just listening to the and songs. Nicolette Robinson, mother. who's playing Jenna right now, she's incredible. She's um, the first mom She's the first role. actual mom to play the part. I read that this morning. She was so good. She's so good, and I think she's she so brings good. such an honesty. I mean, for someone who's also a mom, I just... There's parts in the play where she, like, has... It's called the contraction ballet where like she you know we do it very theatrically whatever but like she starts to go into labor and things like that and there are just things in her performance that are far realer and more grounded because she actually has experienced although when you had when you had albie it was pretty theatrical too 
Well, it was me having Albie. I'm a theatrical person. Yeah. I don't know how like a regular person. You know person. what's crazy is right right when we our baby came out, right? And the baby was on what Katie. And then you gave the baby to me. I said, dear baby. No, and I made a waitress joke in the room. Really? Yeah. Don't even remember that happening. That's wow, that, big of that's a, a fan sign. We are. That's a sign. That's she a says sign. that when she sees a dear baby. <laughs> and I said that and you were like, come on, set. Take it seriously, this is our baby. Wow. And I was you like, I am serious, I'm serious obviously. about Waitress, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we wanted to play a little game with you guys. Are you down? Okay, so you Well, have... I hate games, but you like games, well, right? Well, this is, this is BuzzFeed. No, I'm thrilled this to play BuzzFeed. a game with you, but just know. Yeah, this is BuzzFeed. Whenever someone's like, please come over for a game night, I'm like, no thanks, invite me over next week, but let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love games. Okay. I have to force you to play a game. Yeah, yes, please, okay. come on, come on. So obviously you guys have been together for a long time. You're 12 years. Here. That's a long time. 12 years. <laughs> so we wanted to play the newlywed game okay. with you. Let's, play, let's pretend the little music is playing because I don't think we have okay. the rights to it. Okay. 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 <laughs> Good job. Okay, That's awesome. here we go. Okay, <laughs> so question number one. So question what we're going to do is, Katie, I'm going to ask you the question. Okay. You're going to hold up the thing, and then, Adam, you're going to hold up your answer, okay? Okay. And hopefully these are in the right order. If they're not. They're, they are. Okay. Oh, they're well. in the right order. Okay, okay. Katie, well yeah. what is Adam's favorite flavor of Oreo? Double stuff. Double stuff. Huh, Katie. Come on. Got it right. Original <laughs> double stuff. But Katie, nice. too many Fs in stuff. So That's no true. point for Katie. That's true. Hey, no, I say point. No, but Oreo spells stuff with one F. How about a half point? Okay. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. No, no, no. Half point. Here we go. I still All think right. that's bad. Okay, Katie's worst. Oh, oh. Katie's worst job. Katie's worst job. I'm going to go. With it was right here in New York City when she was a cocktail waitress. <gasps> That's a, a better answer than what I gave. Waitress. Katie, what did you say? Nanny, Nanny for, for twins. twins. <laughs> yeah, that one sucked too, right? <laughs> Terrible. Oh, bath time was a, was a nightmare. Yeah, but that sucked also. You guys, I had too many to name. I'll give him a point for that. She did. A okay, okay. That's okay. Okay, he gets okay. a point. Yeah. That's yeah. We have a sound effect. Okay. okay. What happens when you have too many bad jobs to Okay. Forget. I've had so many. <laughs> okay. Okay. Katie, what is Adam's favorite basketball Well, team? this really? is a very trick question. It is a tricky question because of how much I love LeBron James. I'm sure that might have thrown her off a little bit. But. Okay. I just ranked them and gave multiple answers. Wait, I hope the first show, one's right. Show it to... <laughs> okay, that's not fair. Oh, 76 LeBron, LeBron is not a team. Well, yeah, it, but it's whatever team LeBron's on. LeBron that's, was... LeBron but he's was, on the Lakers now, right? He's on the Lakers. LeBron was a team when he was on the Cavs. Right. But um, technically, you wrote Sixers first, and you are correct. The Philadelphia... Sixers. That's said you're from Philly, so yes. you have to root for the Sixers. Yeah. Yeah. So that would go in first order, but he really likes the Lakers, so this happens to be now working out. But it, you Cavs used to have to go in there too. Yep. Wow. Katie knows me so good. well. The I'm fact that impressed. I even know that is because there's so many hours of basketball okay. in my house. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, Adam. Yes. Who is Katie's favorite scandal castmate? Oh, this was a tricky, tricky question for me to answer, <laughs> and my answer is I don't think she's going to choose one. Oh, Everyone, okay. I was right. Come on, you guys. I really, I was really hoping for you to be like. You wrote um everyone, and yeah. I wrote she wasn't going to choose one. See, I was really hoping you were going to be like. Actually, I hated that bitch. No, <laughs> I love we that. We can say bitch. Oh yeah, you can say bitch. I would have been bitch, saying bitch, 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 bitch the whole bitch, time. Bitch, bitch. That's so fun. Okay, now we're going to do like. Okay, ready? Okay. Okay. I didn't realize we could Let's do bitch. one I written it. final okay. question. All right. This is for Katie. Okay. Does Adam prefer L.A. or New York? 
palm tree and everything. Oh wait, what's your favorite? We got one more. Really quick. What's your favorite scene in Waitress? Soft place to land. Oh crap. The wedding scene. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> but you're that's actually right. One. That's a good one. That's a good one. Okay, oh, I have to give you guys, spoiler alert. I have to give you <laughs> They okay. don't know we get married. The musical. That's true. That's true. That's true. Now you just ruined the musical for everyone. Sorry, guys. Still come. Still no, it's come. Okay. Yeah, it's still it. yeah. okay. Guys, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks I loved the show. Thank I've been you. listening to the soundtrack all morning. Thank it's you. It's the can best soundtrack, see, right? It's the greatest. Thank you. You can see Katie Lowe's and Adam Shapiro as Don and Ogie in Waitress on Broadway now. Up next, I'm talking about a new true crime podcast. What? Obviously, that might make you cancel your next doctor's. What? Is it good? Should I listen to it? I love podcasts. Cut. This true crime podcast is the grossest thing I have ever heard, and I love it. Well, Katie Haney, the Cut senior health writer who's behind that glowing review, joins me now. Katie, thank you so much for coming on and talking about my true passion in life, listening about gory crime. Yes. So please tell me, because I'm super excited, why is this podcast the grossest thing you've ever heard? Um, so I, 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 when I say that, it's because I've listened to so much and watched so many horrifying documentaries that I think that my threshold for being scandalized or shocked is too high now. Um, it's probably not good for me. But um, this one is sort of, it's, it feels more like something that could happen to you because it's about this doctor who should never have been a doctor in the first place and, and the people whose lives he essentially ruined. So it's not that the gore is more so than your average podcast. No, it's also the gore. Also that, also that, okay. It's, it's uh, yeah, just a lot of descriptions of botched surgeries. And I don't know if you can imagine that hearing it would be as bad. Like you might think, oh, I have to see that for that to be gross. But no, somehow something about the way they describe it is disgusting. I feel like when I do listen to this, and I have to tell you, I have actually been saving this because I love to listen to my podcast when I'm running, and yeah. so I'm saving it for my long run this weekend. But I feel like I'm just gonna go like Google everything afterwards. Is that what you do too? Um, I'm pretty good about not doing that because I don't want to ruin the suspense. I mean, I sort of know what happens to some extent with him, but there's still some question as to whether he's, um, you know, botching these surgeries because he is inept or because he wants to hurt the patients. And that's sort of like, I don't know that they figure that out totally, but that's sort of the main question at this point. Interesting. Okay, we have a tweet from Eliza Fasada who said, I recommend listening to the podcast Dr. Death, but listen at your own risk because I'm having a super cringy morning. So obviously your review was focused on how disgusting it was, which drew me in obviously. So why do you think it is that a lot of women love hearing and reading about this stuff. I think I know why, but I'm curious to hear why you think so. Yeah, I mean, I think that like the theories that I've seen the most often, there's been a number of pieces about this that I've read, and I think that people say, well, it's sort of a, it feels like a means to control your own fear um, as opposed to some of the threats women might face in actual day-to-day -day life. This is something that's extremely unlikely to actually happen, and so we can sort of pursue it as an entertainment form. Um, for me, I think I just like being shocked by like human behavior, so I'm not really sure if there's a gender component to it for me, but. Yeah, I, I've heard, I know you mentioned My Favorite Murder. Obviously, I've talked about how much I love My Favorite mm -hmm. Murder, and they say that it's the fact that 
as women, we are trained to not expect, but always fear this kind of thing to happen to us and that anxiety, it almost, it's like knowing is power. Like knowing all of the horrible things that could possibly happen to you right. might make you feel better about the fact that, you know, at any time we could all just get murdered. Right. Which is, I guess, is a kind of... It's bleak, not true. A bleak yeah. way to look at it. So you and a lot of other people have said that this is a really gross podcast so do i need to prepare myself in any way to listen to this or do i just need to like dive right in do i need to do some like cleansing breaths or something um i i think that it's fairly easy to see when it's coming um if they start getting into a surgery that's when you need to brace yourself um it depends on your own threshold i don't get squeamish very easily so for me it's I still cringe, but it's not, I don't feel like nauseous about it. But if you're someone who, whose stomach turns watching a crime show or listening to other crime podcasts, you might want to be careful. Do you think it's one that we can binge or do we need to space it out? Well, the last two episodes aren't out yet. Um, so if you wait until they're all out, you could definitely binge it. It might be sort of a hard day for you like appetite wise, but um, if you, I, I enjoy kind of having to wait and have the suspense too. All right, well, Katie, I'm definitely going to listen to this one. I can't wait, which sounds so weird to say, <laughs> but thank you so much for joining me. And I wanna leave with this tweet from Brooks Whelan. No matter what happens, turn my death into a true crime podcast. Ain't that the truth? Okay, so this one's called Dr. Dad's. It's a pretty cool title, so we wanna hear from you. What would the title of your true crime podcast be? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. And don't go away, Isaac and Saeed will be right back to read your tweets. Welcome back, Softy38. You tweeted, the energy with these two is wow. And not talking about us for once. I was about to say. I mean, don't get me yeah. wrong, you're dancing that has been nonstop the yeah, entire I'm show. Very dancing. I gotta say, listen, a lot of people come through this set. I think that's the first time I felt there was a duo that had more energy than us. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh, I feel so alive. The charisma. <laughs> ah, the love. And then they, and we, I, we were sitting in the control room and like we're just like, oh my God, the whole time. And then they came in and they're so nice. Adam absolutely. was like, can I come back? And keep saying bitch. I was like, of course. Now that you know that you can. Which we're is obsessed. Very, yeah, that was so much fun oh, to watch. We should have a sign that's like you can curse. I mean, listen, here's the thing. Musical theater people are going to bring the energy and they are going to bring the love, especially when they are married and they're actually getting married on stage every day. Our producer, Julia, told me that they had a uh, summer camp themed wedding oh. and they played Color Wars. Is that right? That is very, very that is right. adorable. I love it. I, we stand. <laughs> we stand. I wouldn't want to go to a dinner party with them because I get all competitive and be like, smile, tell a cute story, Isaac, tell a cute story. <laughs> You competitive? You don't say. What? <laughs> All right. In reaction to John Stanton's follow this story, uh, Kristen says, the perception is less, oh, I'm sorry, Kirsten. Uh, the perception is less people care about those women and black women if they were to disappear. Mm. Yeah, I just, it, it, watch the episode. And, and John, I just retweeted him and he tweeted out his, his article about the law and its impact on sex trafficking and, and, and sex workers. But, you know, black women, black trans women in particular are the most vulnerable. And it's just interesting to see, I think it's fair to say that 
they weren't taken into consideration when this law was put in place. And so it just makes them even more vulnerable. It's really interesting. And that's why it's so empowering to see them using their voice, gathering up, having a march, having these protests. Um, Ashley C. Ford says, I love when John Stanton is on AM to DM. Time to learn something. Speaking of Stan, we definitely stand John Stanton. We do. It's so great to see him, uh, you know, just, just, just bringing voice to these stories. He's great. Yeah, and, and John, I mean, if, if you know him, if you read his reporting, he's always connecting and engaging the stories of people who are often left on the margins of, of journalism mm-hmm. and, 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 and treating them with, like, taking their stories seriously. And it, it's great to see that facet kind of brought in to follow this. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, okay, other investigations that might be worth looking into. Chris said, we need an investigation about the diverting of FEMA money to ICE. I, we talked about that a bit yesterday, too. Yeah, we did talk about that yesterday, and I know that, that people out. are still kind of tracking it down, but yeah, Paul had a lot of great things to say about it's it. It's wild out here. It's mm-hmm. pretty wild. And again, the, I think the rain is just starting um, in the mid-Atlantic coast, so my goodness. Thoughts with everyone there. Well, thank you to all of our guests. What a show! It was a great show! What a show! Jacqueline Friedman, Nicole Wynn, Nettie Prakash, Katie Lowe's, Adam Shapiro, our favorite married couple. We love them! fantastic. We stand! John Stanton and Stephanie McNeil, Katie Henney as well. Thank you all for joining us. Absolutely. I'm gonna listen to that podcast while we're on the road because we're hitting the road. We're heading to Austin tomorrow. Stephanie and Hayes will be holding it down here at the studio. So don't miss that show. Austin, Houston, New Orleans, Baton Rouge, we're coming. You can follow our shenanigans at Making the Most of. Use the hashtag Making the Most of. We'll see you on the timeline. Still happening.